Welcome back to the Therapy for Real Life podcast. This is not therapy, this is real life. I'm your host, Anna Lindbergh Cedar, and I'm happy to be back with you today because we're going to talk about DBT's biopsychosocial theory and mood management. DBT puts this under the heading of why do I have so much trouble controlling my emotions and my actions? Well, today we'll try to answer that question by looking at the various components of a mood and why it makes it so challenging sometimes to regulate our mood, especially in a stressful situation. So listeners to the podcast know that we try to adapt therapy concepts and burnout prevention strategies into everyday techniques that you can use for your own self-care. And listeners to the show know that we draw a lot from the research-backed counseling method called dialectical behavior therapy. And it says it right in the title, that behavior part. It hints at what makes dialectical behavior therapy so unique because it looks at the fit between the person and their environment. This is actually different than other therapy models that are out there. Other therapy models might look more to your early childhood and less to your current environment um, as causing uh, long-lasting Uh, impact in your personality and of course your childhood um, is going to create a tremendous insignificant impact in your life but that's not the only thing we are diverse human beings and so is our environment and that interaction is actually at the heart of mood management so let's break that down a little bit further DBT is based on the biopsychosocial theory, which has three basic parts to it. And you can hear it right right in the title, biopsychosocial. The first part of that unifying theory is the biological part. When we look at mood management and how to strategize good self-care, it's important to consider biology. And we do know that some people are more vulnerable to certain emotions because of biological predisposition. Uh, Probably you know families where either depression or anxiety runs in the family, just like you can see uh, hereditary around diabetes or other biological conditions. We know that some people are just simply more sensitive to emotional stimuli, little cues or triggers in our environment. Some people have the experience feeling like they have a thinner outer skin. Some things just might touch them more than other people. I remember seeing this when I worked in a medical clinic. I would talk to parents all the time and they would tell me about their kids and sometimes they would they would say, this one is very sensitive. And they noticed a difference um, in their own kids, even with that shared 
biology, some, some were just seemingly a little bit more sensitive. And there can be biological roots to that. Some people not only experience increased sensitivity in their emotions, but they also might have a natural intensity to their emotions. People will tell me all the time, um, you know, I just have a shorter fuse than most. I go from zero to 60 in two seconds flat. Part of that can actually be a biological predisposition. Same goes for impulsivity. So how quickly you are to act on impulsive urges or even how hard it is for you to stop yourself can have biological roots. When we look at why it's so important to do public health campaigns around lead prevention in the waters because we know that, or, or lead paint or um, lead poison in the waters because when youth are exposed to toxins like that, it reduces their ability to control impulsivity. So it's very hard, it can be very hard to be effective if you're overwhelmed by some of that biology. And of course, we're going to look to um, the medical community and, and look at our health routine and um, see what we can do to support ourselves there. For example, I wear glasses. And if I didn't have those glasses, I would be misrecognizing people on the street and maybe saying hello to people I don't know or missing the people I do know. But as soon as I have that medical apparatus, pair of glasses, look at that. I fit just fine in my environment. So even with the biological predisposition, there are adaptations that are available to us. So biology is a really important part of this theory, and it doesn't dictate all of our outcomes or how we manage our mood or how we take care of ourselves, but it is an important factor. So as it says right in the title, biopsychosocial, the next part we're going to look at is our psychological coping. When we think about our biology and certain predispositions, how we interact with our biology is, is determined by our ability to cope. And this is the psychological part of biopsychosocial theory. So as diverse as human beings are with the biology that they are born with, so is the diverse coping that we see across cultures and across individuals. Coping is often invisible. It's often the way we think about things or choose to view things. And it's also the actions that we take. That's the, the behavioral part of this. What we do does impact how we feel. And our psychology is influenced by an, our, in all of our life experiences. And so that is going to influence how someone interprets the world around them and how they choose to act. Dialectical behavior therapy is one of those counseling methods that's full of different ideas and strategies that individuals can mix and match to help them with their coping. And I like that skill-based approach. 
The interesting part of dialectical behavior therapy is it originally came out of research um, designed to help folks overcoming suicidal ideation or self-harm tendencies. A lot of those folks um, might initially qualify for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder. That's where a lot of this uh, rich research comes from. And borderline personality disorder is a severe mood regulation disorder. And it is so all-encompassing that a lot of folks feel that it impacts their entire worldview and their entire personality and how they interact basically with, with everything. And the interesting thing about borderline personality disorder if you look up the criteria for borderline personality disorder, a lot of the um, components of the definition there really are asking about skillfulness, how well someone can navigate their world and get their needs met. So someone with borderline personality disorder tends to have really tumultuous relationships and tumultuous moods and a real hard time coping with stresses that come their way. And the interesting part of borderline personality disorder is that I see this quite often in therapy actually, is someone might come in and even meet criteria for a diagnosis of borderline personality disorder, but then as soon as they start learning the skills of dialectical behavior therapy, or we might mix and match and throw in cognitive behavioral therapy or other skills, that that when people have the skills that they need, they change the problems that they have. And with that coping, we can cope our way sometimes out of a diagnosis. We don't even qualify for that diagnosis anymore because we have so many strategies at our disposal that we can just cope with it. So we talked about biology before, and those are sometimes perpetual problems that we have to cope with and manage. And we have to play the cards that we are dealt in that way. Psychological coping gives us a lot of flexibility in our experience. And it's the, it's the difference between glass half empty and half full. So that is a big part of our experience, is just how we interact with the world and how we choose to cope. The last essential component of biopsychosocial theory is the environment. And our environment can either help or hurt us when it comes to coping. Something that dialectical behavior therapy helps us understand is the difference between a validating and an invalidating environment. Human beings are social animals, so inherently part of our coping comes from the interaction that we have with other human beings. And we have, when we have an experience in this world, um, especially if it's a challenging or negative one, we have a natural urge to talk that out with other people. This is why therapy works. It's, it's also why um, even journaling can help you make sense of uh, difficult experiences. You're, you're processing that experience, and, and it does help to, to do that in a social context. When we hear 
our experience reflected back by another person. Uh, it helps us uh, make sense of experiences in a way that's really difficult to do on our own. So a validating environment is one that reflects our experience and matches us. It feels so good when we feel understood in that way. But very often, unfortunately, people have a different experience of um, feeling invalidated. So you could experience this, for example, let's say you bring up an issue to your boss at work and you know it's a problem and it's affecting you every day and you're trying to get support um, but maybe your boss says, well, we don't really have money this year, and actually I don't think we'll have money for that next year. It's really not a priority. Why don't you just keep dealing with it? Some version of that as an answer. That's going to feel really invalidating to you because you just spent all that time explaining why it is such a big deal. So that response doesn't necessarily feel matched, and that can feel demoralizing and unmotivating. And it can also just feel a little bit crazy making when we feel a certain kind of way and then we're not seeing that reflected back. There's a mismatch there. And an ineffective social environment can also reinforce unhealthy or even emotional behaviors. Let's look at workaholism or work addiction. Oftentimes, those are the folks who get bonuses and salary increases or even accolades from their colleagues, even if they're, they're burning the midnight oil and they're not sleeping and um, might even struggling with uh, drugs or addiction, but nobody can necessarily see those behaviors. Um, this, the context really rewards and encourages certain kinds of behaviors. So your mood is really going to interact with the environment around you. And this is where we think about the transactional model of change. So when it comes to self-care and coping, you know, you can't change your own behavior without inherently changing the environment around you. You just made a change in yourself. You are part of your environment. This is the transactional model of change. And same goes for changing your environment. You can't change your environment without inherently changing who you are because you are part of your environment. So a lot of times when people are going through a difficult mood or a difficult time, whether it's grief, depression, or anxiety, a lot of times they're tempted to take that experience very personally as if, uh, as if they're doing something wrong and they should be feeling another way. And if they were feeling better, that would be proof that they were succeeding at life or I'm not exactly sure what, but there's some kind of mythology out there um, that makes us all think we have to do it on our own. But when we remember the fact that we are social beings, social animals, it does make sense that a big part of our mood is in relation to other people and how we see ourselves fitting in. Now that you have a basic understanding of DBT's biopsychosocial theory of mood management and change, 
Now I want you to apply this to your own life. And I invite you to pause the podcast in a moment so that you can get out a piece of paper and a pen. And I want you to just take notes on those three areas that we just talked about. So think about your own biology and what makes you predisposed to um, effective mood management or emotional sensitivities. Just take a moment now and jot down any factors that you should consider when it comes to mood management. And you might think about sleep, exercise, doctor's visits, any of those wellness routines that impact your mood management. Write those down. And of course, next, you're going to take the time to think about your own psychological coping and what you already do well and routines that you want to keep and protect. And maybe even this is a good time to think about areas where you could do more psychological coping. And maybe this is an opportunity to think about what new skills would look like in this area. Maybe communication or assertiveness training, mood regulation, mindfulness skills. These are all examples of research-backed coping. And then, of course, lastly, take a moment to think about your current environment. And you, of course, are going to be thinking about adapting this for your current situation if you're sheltering in place or as the uh, as businesses start to reopen and you transition um, into whatever routine comes next for you think about the adjustments that will take place in your context and just give yourself credit for the flexibility and adjustment that it takes to make all those changes and see if there's anything that you can do to structure or adapt uh, your environment to create a better person and environment fit. You are part of that environment after all, so you, you have a right to speak up and say something and design your environment as you'd like to see it. So I welcome you to do that now, to take a little Um, time to journal to yourself and think about the biopsychosocial theory and if you are interested in learning more about this you might look up Marsha Linehan's memoir that came out just this year it's called Building a Life Worth Living and up until now Marsha Linehan has only written clinical texts to train therapists on effective research-backed counseling for mood management and this is the first time that she wrote something much more personal and it just so happens to weave in her personal journey around learning these skills herself and then researching the heck out of them and turning them into a really effective model and she explains in her personal narrative a lot about this idea of the person and environment fit and she even talks personally um, she uses the analogy of um, being a tulip herself always thinking of herself as a tulip who sometimes feels like she's surrounded by roses and she shares the example of her sister who's a rose 
and 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 you'll have to read it for yourself to see what she means by that and you'll hear her talk a little bit more about what it feels like to grow up in an environment and have certain expectations and maybe not to meet those expectations but how do you cope with that environment anyways so i really recommend that text if you're trying to um, bring some of these concepts to life thank you for listening i'm so glad you joined me today i'm looking forward to talking with you again soon if you have any questions about therapy concepts or are looking for self-care resources feel free to find me on therapyforreallife.com or send me a message there in the meantime enjoy your self-care routine this is not therapy this is real life have a great day Thank mm-hmm. you.